0: This is Rebecca.
1: Now, Materazzi did what? This is, uh, gonna give us a bit more of a clue. He said something. He certainly said something. Now what happens? He's saying some more. Well... The pictures, remember that guy, show where we mine our memories for Nuggets of Nostalgia about peripheral players past and present. Hey there folks, serving as one of your hosts and leaving football in disgrace, it's me, James.
0: Fellow disgrace to the game, Diaz back with you once again, and we have a very special guest, our skipper, who
2: can hopefully bring some honor to this podcast. Please introduce yourself. Zidane was rightly mad at me. I did say that I would do his sister to his face. And that's why he headbutted me. But you know what? I got the last laugh. It's me, the very special guest, Marco Materazzi.
1: And we are reporting live from Zinedine Zidane's forehead, which is large enough for the three of us to all sit on it. It's, appropriately enough, World Cup time. But before we get to the World Cup, I have a very important question for you, Xavier. Could you please tell me who's making memories for you?
2: You know what? The idea of... A football game played in six feet of snow was too good to be true. It was never going to work out. I half wish that it did, half for fancy reasons. I'm glad that it's not. I don't know. At least we get to see the Bills versus the Browns played in a stadium that is currently hosting a carnival, and they have to get rid of the carnival right now <laughs> to make sure they could do it. And our good friend, the Siccos Committee, did say they should leave the Ferris wheel up as an obstacle, which I think would be fantastic.
1: The Sickos committee who credited them today on November 17th hit 69,420 followers. Very nice. And for anyone who who is not immediately picked up on what Xavier is referring to as the massive snowstorm, it's going to hit Buffalo in, in a weather pattern that is roughly the shape of the Buffalo Bills logo and dump six feet of thunder snow on top of them.
2: Buffalo is a hellscape, man. <laughs> <laughs> Think of weather that should not exist. I like what. A Former guest of the podcast, Kev McFall,
0: said in in a chat that Xavier and I are in, which is taking away this thundersnow game from the city of Buffalo, they are going to make January 6th look like a Christmas parade. How upset they are that they do not get to watch this game. I mean, there's been so many iconic snow games. Buffalo, we had Shady McCoy ran wild. What was that, like six, seven years ago at this point? So very disappointing that uh, we do not get a chance to see Josh Allen recreate some of that magic. But I'm sure, Xavier as a Stefan Diggs owner in fantasy is uh, is going to be more than happy with that.
2: I won't need many points to beat Rob, but I'll take all the ones I can get. Also, I did beat Jake on Devontae Smith lateraling the ball into the end zone for a fumble on the last play of the game on Monday night after I had already gone to sleep and. That's just my favorite thing ever now because Jake was very, very upset, and it was very funny to wake up to that, especially Diaz yelling at me in the chat about how I I have been jinxing everything, either unintentionally or intentionally. Xavier
0: absolutely has been jinxing everything, and just for the listeners at home, let me run through this hot streak that Xavier's been on. He congratulated the Union for winning the MLS Cup in the 123rd minute. Of course, Gareth Bale then heads it in and that ends up uh, going to the penalty shootout that LAFC does win, which is a shame because they are a fraudulent franchise that exists only because of their money. He pulls off the mush of the year, declaring himself the loser of his fantasy matchup and then going to bed, which he has done before, folks. This is not the first time that Xavier said, oh, well, dang, I guess that's it. I guess I lose. And then some miraculous happenstance happens and results in him winning. And he has a smile on his face right now because he knows that what he's doing is wrong and is amoral, but he will continue to do it and he will continue to have a shit-eating grin on his face as he does it. (laughs) He's going to mush his way all the way to a championship and I just need the dear listeners to know that whatever misfortunes happen in your life, it's not your fault. It's because Xavier said the opposite was
2: going to happen. (laughs) You know, I, I, I did have to deal with Cooper Cup getting injured though, so I, I did get some sort of karmic retribution.
1: Uh, no and I back. mean, we're glad that Xavier was predicting a red wave in the recent midterms because that could
2: be <laughs> Xavier effectively
0: mushed MAGA. He's a MAGA mush. So uh, if you if you want to sing the praises of Mike Pence or Ron DeSantis right now, I think, think that would be welcomed by everybody. <laughs>
1: Well, Diaz, Xavier's clearly making some unpleasant memories for you right now. Is there anyone trying to balance it out in the world for you?
0: So, this isn't a positive making memories. It is an absurd making memories because when I woke up this morning, one of the first things I did is I got on Instagram and I saw a post from, whether we like it or not, the football goat, Tom Brady. He made a post on Instagram. And for the next two minutes and 30 seconds, I was not sure if what I was looking at was a legitimate thing or if I was still asleep and having some like horrific sleep paralysis demon on my phone. For the people who did not see this today, uh, there, there's a new movie coming out. This, I was trying to figure out if you were talking about the movie. I am talking about the movie. Uh, Tom Brady is the executive producer for a film that stars, let me just make sure I get it right. Bing Fonda, Sally Fields, Glenn Turman, and Rita Moreno. But anyway, the the, the premise, for those of you who are blessed enough to have not seen this trailer yet, is that this group of elderly women, uh, as they are approaching 80 or have already surpassed 80, decide, it's time that we make one last great memory for ourselves. Let's go out, let's have a great time. Let's go watch Tom Brady play in the Super Bowl. For some reason, this is what this lovely cast of 80-year-old women have decided is their bucket list item, is to go watch Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Rob Gronkowski also stars in this film. Uh, I think Julian Edelman makes an appearance. This very
1: much says that Gronk and Jane Fonda fucked.
0: It is a, that, is,
1: that is 100% something that will either happen in this movie or happens in the backstory of this movie.
0: It is... Canon of the 80 for Brady universe that Rob Gronkowski and Jane Fonda bang the ever-living shit out of each other. I don't know why this movie was made. I don't know for whom it is being made. I don't know why it exists other than a tribute to man's arrogance and specifically by <laughs> man I mean Tom Brady. There's no reason for this film to exist. And the only positive that I take out of this, and this is what I said to my girlfriend when we were talking about it, good for these ladies for getting the bag one last time. And that is the only good thing that I have to say about this film. God, though. No. This is fucking wild. <laughs> it is the most unnecessary film I can like possibly conceive of. And we live in a world in which Dinesh D'Souza continues to make movies. And this is the most unnecessary movie that has ever been made. Here's the one
1: contribution I think we can make. This would have been Tom Brady, 51. That's him competing for his fourth Super Bowl, fifth Super Bowl ring because it's after the Seahawks won. Jane Fonda, Rita Moreno, Sally Field, and Lily Tomlin combined have five Oscars. We'll take that. This, This film is really just Tom Brady trying to equal his supporting cast in trophies.
0: Whatever positive spin we can put on it, I'm for
2: it. And then Tom for Brady it. wins an Oscar in 20 years because he switches to becoming an actor, and then we have to deal with that forever. Just so unnecessary.
1: If Daniel Day-Lewis was cast in a movie where he had to play a quarterback better than Tom Brady, I believe that he would be able to do
0: Just Get him on the TB12 method, and he'll, uh, he'll be
2: even... He's a TB12 method actor. There we go. Keanu Reeves plays Tom Brady. He has experience... Playing quarterback on film, so... Left-handed
0: quarterback, though. There's your problem. Uh, True. You know, with the left-handed quarterback, you could just mirror it, and, you know, I'm looking for a mirror because I clearly entered into some horrific alternate dimension that this film exists in. I would like to go back to the one where this movie doesn't exist. But yeah, Tom Brady making horrible memories for me. Newcastle, third place at the break. Big win over Chelsea. Fuck the Blues, up the lads. Howe. That's your Newcastle update.
1: The Newcastle updates are becoming more frequent than the Sixers
0: updates were, and I'm here for it. Well, I mean, the Sixers season only just started, right? Like, It's true. <laughs> it's true. So Wait, well, Diaz,
2: you didn't talk about Joe's incredible game.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joel, 59 points. That that was, like, the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Because for the people who don't know this, the day before, this was on a back-to-back that Joel Embiid put up his 59-point near quadruple double, which is, like, an absurd enough sentence in and of itself. But the night before, Embiid in his post-game press conference was talking about like his myriad of injuries he's battling through. And he said, you know, sometimes my shoulder hurts. I can't really lift it above my head, but I'm going to keep going out there and trying to play for my team. And then he drops 59 points the next night. Now, I think Joel may have exaggerated a little bit. It looked like his arm was above his head several times throughout that performance. <laughs> No, that was that was just magnificent. I think he had, here's what it was. The Sixers had 27 points in the fourth quarter, and that was a close game. Joel Embiid had 26 of them in the fourth quarter. The lone additional point was on a Daniel House free throw, and that was
1: it. <laughs> I don't know, do you think third time's the charm for MVP over Jokic?
0: Here's, uh, the NBA MVP voting block has very clearly established their Eastern European bias. It's going to be Luka this year. And I love Luca, and Luca probably deserves it. But
2: there is a very clear Eastern European bias at this point. (laughs) And that Dirk is the one who does the votes. He's just been rigging it this whole time.
0: Zaza's been rallying the Georgian people to commit further injustices. Is really what. (laughs) But you know, enough about Joel. Enough about Newcastle. Enough about the film that shall not be named. James. I'm hoping you have some positive memories to share with us.
1: Well, I want to start actually pointing out that Xavier is making memories for me because this episode is Xavier's 58th consecutive appearance as a very special guest on this show, meaning that he has broken the true Joe DiMaggio streak. The reason that I'm making a point about this is I want to use it as an excuse to talk about the true Joe DiMaggio streak, which is 57 games because during that 56-game streak, they play in the 1941 All-Star Game, and he goes one for three that day with a double where he's later scored by a Ted Williams home run, further linking the two of them with their two top 20 all-time offensive seasons there in 1941 before they end up finishing one and two for MVP. But even those two seasons, they're bullshit now. They're out of here because Xavier has surpassed them both. Xavier is officially Better than Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio, and I just want that to be on record here.
2: Uh, I appreciate it, James. It's fine. I hate
1: both of their teams deeply, so this is also self-serving to me. (laughs) I also want to give a quick shout-out to a staffer of incumbent and re-elected Governor Tim Waltz in Minnesota. Tim Waltz was going up against an opponent who's lieutenant governor was another former Baltimore sports personality turned politician, much like Aubrey Huff. And Matt Burke, not a whole lot better. Maybe a little bit less, like, insane and just disgusting. Thankfully, he was also rebuked along with his running mate. And the staffer of Tim Waltz proudly tweeted out, in all caps, Eat shit, Matt Burke. And I just wanted a chance to (laughs) quote that, that I too could share that sentiment. No, but really what I want to talk about, have you guys seen the new mascots for the 2024 Paris Olympics?
2: Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. Yes. Thank you. I have
0: not, but I know that my mind is about to be blown.
1: Dear listener, as Diaz views this, I want to describe to you this object, which is a roughly conical red figure with a rounded top. It's got a face at the base of this cone and then also two flaps on either side kind of moving freely that function as arms along with a pair of legs. There are two of them. One of them has a prosthetic leg. Okay, so Diaz, you've just seen Fridge for the first time. Fridge, spelled P-H-R-Y-G-E, is the 2024 Paris Olympic and Paralympic Games mascots. There are two of these objects, one of which has a prosthetic leg, Diaz, before I go any further with a history lesson about Fridge, what is your guess for what this thing is?
0: I'm going to guess that it is a silly hat that the revolutionaries used to wear in revolutionary France.
1: So you're absolutely correct. It it is that hat, and here's how it came to be that way. Phrygia is an ancient Mediterranean region in Anatolia, or like modern-day Eastern Turkey. It's where like King Midas comes from. They had this hat that was later conflated with a completely different hat. There was a felt hat called pilius, and this would be given to slaves at their time of manumission, or when they were given their freedom if they bought that in Roman times. So this original design of a Phrygian cap gets combined with that. And so now this hat is associated with freedom and with the Republic, because this was during the Roman Republic's period, where these... Slaves, once they became citizens, could, in theory, vote. Later on, we have two big Republican revolutions in America and in France, where this hat does become a very big symbol. Now, in America, while this is on the seal of both the U.S. Army and the U.S. Senate, it is now a lesser-known symbol. Part of that is because in 1854, a noted shithead, Jefferson Davis, who was the Secretary of War at the time, declared that we should not be using this cap anymore as our iconography because American liberty is original and not the liberty of the freed slave. Color us surprised when seven years later, Jefferson Davis becomes president of the Confederate States of America. So, Phrygian cap no longer associated with American liberty, but was still very strongly associated with France, so it has become the symbol of the 2024 Games. It is only the seventh time of the 27 official Olympic mascots Where it is not an animal, it's an object instead. Three of those have been in the last seven. And I do wanna remind everybody about Wenlock from the 2020 12 London Games. Do you remember what he was?
0: A taxi. I was gonna say uh, something to do with Big Ben.
1: Oh no, that would both of those would make sense. Instead, Wenlock was an anthropomorphized steel eye beam who also was combined with a surveillance camera his eye is very literally a surveillance (laughs) camera celebrating the tradition of british surveillance cameras
2: oh my god it looks like a pokemon
1: i think fridge comparably being just an anthropomorphized hat way less crazy than wenlock but that did not stop some people like the guardian saying that it looks like a giant clitoris with trainers not everyone sees that necessarily as a bad thing because a major french newspaper Libération, agrees that it looks a little bit like a clitoris What welcomes it as a revolutionary departure from the traditionally phallic Eiffel tower. So (laughs) love it or hate it. Bridge is the mascot this year. I just hope everybody takes some time to enjoy that excellent graphic design that has led to us having hat mascots.
2: I love that. Someone probably got paid a lot of money to make that.
1: Anyway, enough about anthropomorphized hats and French revolutionaries. As we said, we are here to talk about the World Cup. After all, just last week, we were detailing the numerous, say, atrocities that are associated with it. And we wanted to make sure that everybody kept that in mind for you know, the inevitable period when we move on and just kind of think about it from a sports perspective. And it's been a week, so we're ready to think about it from that sports oh, perspective. Yeah. Ain't that yeah. right,
2: guys? Ready for sports washing. Woo. In all honesty... As I said last week, terrible, terrible situation. I'm gonna watch pretty much every game because I love soccer and I love the World Cup. I am very excited. I believe Diaz is also
0: excited. No, I'm I'm very excited because, you know, first of all, USA is back in. It's been a long eight years. You know, we were all still college students the last time USA participated in the World Cup, which I think really puts that in perspective. But also, this is the first time that... Newcastle is relevant enough that they have multiple players representing their countries. And uh, I'll be excited to watch those guys too. So, you know, Bruno for Brazil. Kieran Trippier is probably going to be the only one to play for England. But we also have Callum Wilson. And once Southgate realizes that Jordan Pickford has uh, T-Rex arms, Nick Pope should be next up to go in, in goal. So that'll be fun to see him in there. Fabian Cher should uh, get get some playing time as well for... What's your line?
2: I believe, yeah, I believe she plays um, excellent.
0: So yeah, got got a lot of lads that are ready to get stuck in and uh, represent their countries, and also USA back. So very very excited for for this tournament.
1: Well, I'm glad that the the two of you have all this because uh, you know this is this is really for my friend who doesn't know a whole lot about the World Cup going in. So if you could like let my friend know what things are are important to be watching out for, I think that would really help my friend out.
2: Yeah, so there's a lot for your friend to get excited for and to keep an eye out for. One of the biggest things is not actually related to the teams themselves, but the fact that this is the first winter World Cup for the European leagues, and a lot of these players are going to be going straight in, having just played in their regular domestic leagues last weekend. Usually, there is... A month and a half, two months in between the end of the season, the start of the World Cup, a team will play three or four friendlies, get ready, have a long training camp. No lead-in time this time. Just straight into it. And there's a lot of worries about, will that cause injuries? What can you really expect from these players without any sort of lead-in time? And Going along with that, maybe winter-ish for them, and it's still somewhat colder in Qatar than it would be in the summer, where it would be impossible to play. But it's still going to be well over 90 degrees for pretty much every single game that starts in the afternoon. That is not something that a lot of players are used to. And it'll be interesting to see how a lot of the European teams deal with that. South American teams and the African teams, maybe they're able to acclimatize better and perform better than the Europeans. But it will be interesting to see you know, what happens with just... condensed schedule and the environment itself and how that affects the players
1: so with that i would think diaz as you're listening all your guys who you are saying oh maybe they'll get on i would think the bench is going to be presumably pretty deep if you're expecting to go with people that have been already worked pretty well this season before
0: i think that's gonna be fatigue is gonna be a thing i don't think they have additional subs for this world cup can you confirm that xavier is it still just
2: i believe they have the five subs so they are doing five five. subs
0: so this is like a weird thing where covid allowed for soccer to institute some rules that kind of just make sense it used to always just be the three subs as a thing for players getting back in form after covid they went to five subs but now they'll have that at the world cup as well So that'll be a good opportunity for the teams that have more depth. The teams that you assume that would benefit would be kind of the traditional powers. Uh, I remember there was an argument somebody made one time comparing U.S. soccer to England soccer. And it said, look, when it's the best 11 against the best 11, USA stands a shot. If we were to take the best 100 against the best 100, USA would get blown out of the water. Which obviously, you know, rosters are nowhere near 100 people. But... Puts it in perspective that, you know, the traditional powers where soccer really is life, you know, to quote uh, what's his face from Ted Lasso, football is life. Those are the countries that are going to benefit most uh, from having this five sub.
1: The ones for all of the best athletes. Right.
0: Like exactly. Sports. Exactly. So you would, you would assume like an England is going to benefit a Brazil is going to benefit a France is going to benefit. Attempted to say in Italy would benefit, but hilariously, Italy, after winning Euro, doesn't qualify for the World Cup. Again, this is now going to be the, the second consecutive World Cup that they didn't
2: qualify for, correct? Yes. Italy did not qualify for the World Cup and won the Euros, and they did not qualify for the World Cup. So just a very, a, very, very boomer bust. An incredibly for them, like spicy right
0: meatball now. sandwich for, for Italy there. They're, they're really going <laughs> to have a tough time stomaching
2: that one. Mamma mia. And they lost to North Macedonia. At home, that's why they, that's why Ooh, they didn't qualify. Mia. It was a great goal. It was a great goal on a counter, right near the end of the game. But yeah, they lost to North Macedonia in the playoff.
1: So, in the last like bit, you've mentioned Brazil and France, reigning champions, and England. I assume is also a country to look out. They're always trying to bring it home.
2: But who are the countries to look out for? So the pre-tournament favorites. Like you said, Brazil and France, definitely up there. Brazil probably has the best team. They went undefeated through qualifying in South America, which is ridiculous. Their attack is just stacked. They got Vinicius. They've got two Gabbies: Gabby Jesus, Gabby Martinelli. You got Rafinha, Richarlison. Their midfield is great, even if I'm not a big fan of Fred. You got Casemiro and Diaz's boy Bruno. Yeah, Brazil, definitely one of the favorites. And it's been 20 years since they've won a World Cup, which is insane for them. Normally, they they like to win one every 10 years or so, so they're not liking this. Their neighbors, Argentina, very, very strong favorite. Messi trying to win his first World Cup and probably his last chance. Probably is the best team around him that he's had in the World Cup, and that's saying something because they made the final. Was it uh, 2014? So Argentina... Argentina-Brazil, the two big favorites from South America, and then from Europe, it's France, the reigning world champions, who have two of the four best players in the world, and Karim Benzma, the reigning Ballon d'Or winner, and Kylian Mbappe, who has already shown how incredible he could be at the World Cup. I think the next probably be either Spain or Germany, just because they're still so very well-rounded in every way, but I think... The three clear favorites are probably Brazil, Argentina, and France. Yeah, is anyone that I'm missing that you think should be considered one of those favorites? this is
0: where I'll I'll lean on my former roommate, Brian, and I'm going to go straight to the books. And I'm going to tell you who the books favor most. So Xavier nails it. The big three. Brazil is the favorite at plus 320, which is essentially giving Brazil a little worse than a 30% chance of winning the World Cup. Then we go Argentina, which is plus 550, talking about 16 to 18% chance to win the World Cup. Then we go France, 7 to 1. Spain is 8 to 1, as is England. Then we have Germany, 12 to 1. Portugal and Netherlands, both 15 to 1. And Belgium, 17 to 1, are kind of the teams that the books are saying have a, a reasonable chance of winning the World Cup. We go a little bit further down. Uh, you got Denmark is 27 to 1, Uruguay 38 to 1, Croatia 49 to 1, our beloved United States of America is 150 to 1. If you're a, yeah. a Main Son guy and you think he can carry South Korea all the way, you can get them at 250 to 1. And tied for the worst odds, we have Costa Rica, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Tunisia, and Australia all if you put down a $1 wager you get 550 back if any of
2: those teams were to actually win the World Cup. I mean, yeah, those are definitely the weakest teams. I think Iran is probably better than the other five there, but definitely the teams that you would expect to finish last or third in their group, unless there's something major. I mean, Costa Rica has gone on a run before making the quarterfinals, also in 2014, I believe. But they have pretty much the exact same team as they had eight years ago. All of their players are pretty much... 35 and up, except for a couple. I don't expect them to do nearly as well this time.
1: So I did look up just a little bit of prognostication and try and bring something to the table here. Uh, I was hoping I'd be able to find out what Paul the Octopus said, but unfortunately, Paul the Octopus is no longer He's with dead. us. So I can't bring that prognostication. What I can bring though is, i mean, Diaz, you brought us the numbers from the books. I have numbers from a different publication, the numbers from insurance journals which is a magazine run by the underwriting company Lloyd's of London that was correctly (laughs) called the last two World Cup winners. What they have done is used a model that just basically decides which one of the teams could be insured for the most. This includes their account wages, their sponsorships, their team demographics and ages and all of that to basically determine the team with the highest insurable value. And by about a half billion dollar or half billion pound sterling margin, that is going to be England over France this year. England has a valuation of 3.17 billion pounds or 3.6 billion US dollars. So that's who Lloyd's of London's insurance journal has said is going to win it based on the numbers that, I know you love this, Diaz, completely ignore absolutely any soul whatsoever and exclusively look at the dollar value. I mean, that's what it's all
0: about, right? We we don't care about, stories i mean this podcast certainly doesn't care about the guys we just care about raw data baby and uh i I love that cold analysis
1: one other thing that we do love is team names and when i looked into the england three lions i did like finding out that they are one of four lion teams along with cameroon's indomitable lions Senegal's lions of taranga and morocco's lions of atlas i'm partial to morocco's lions of atlas personally
2: Africa has the best nicknames. I think Tunisia is the Eagles of Carthage. Everyone else is kind of boring, especially a lot of the countries that are just like, the colors of our flag, or the tricolor, or the blues, or the crimsons.
1: Credit to the Welsh dragons.
2: All right, good, good for Wales, good for Wales. But uh, see, the reason I didn't put England in that same category is because they haven't won a game that matters this year their last six games in the UEFA Nations League, they lost to Hungary, tied Germany, tied Italy, lost to Hungary again, lost to Italy, and tied Germany. So their most recent six games, they did not win any of them and got relegated from the UEFA Nations League. And that's the thing. England has some of the best players in the world. It made the Eurofinals last year. It made the semifinals of the World Cup in 2018. But usually a coach does not stay on for more than one World Cup cycle because things can get stale. And I think they're at that point with Gareth Southgate. He could prove me wrong. You know, in my own bracket, I still have them advancing to the quarterfinals, but I don't think they have it in them to go all the way this year, especially with who they would have to play along the way. But the money, Xavier. You know what? Lloyds of London is biased to the people who live in London. They, correctly, they
1: have correctly picked Germany and France
2: coming into this year. Oh, they picked the two best teams before, <laughs> before the tournament started and said, Oh, look, we did this right. An octopus could do this too, as we're aware. It's not that hard to just pick, hey, this team's the best team. I'm gonna Xavier, pick them to win and see what happens.
0: besmirched the octopus community. There have been a lot of studies that showed that they might be more intelligent than us, and given the past like few years and just like everything that's happened in humanity. I think there's a real strong argument they are more intelligent. So I think I think we need to tap into octopus intelligence more personally. But no, you you bringing up Southgate reminded me one thing I wanted to talk about with this, and we're not going to get into like the actual atrocities because you know we are trying to keep this more focused on the fun things around this World Cup. But I posted a link that Xavier, I know you saw James. I don't know, did you see that Qatar has been hiring foreign nationals to form super fan groups? for the different countries and the biggest giveaway that these are not genuine fans that these are paid fans. First of all, they all have the newest Jersey, the newest shirt, the newest like merchandise, which anybody that owns sports merchandise will tell you, like my Bryce Harper Jersey I've had for three years. My Donovan McNabb Jersey is like my favorite Eagles Jersey. That's like at least 20 years old at this point. You need to throw in some faded merchandise to make it believable. That's one thing. But then the other thing, Xavier bringing up your doubts and Garrett Southgate, I'm right there with you, but the the fan super group is not because, you know, they had that classic English football chant, Southgate is our super manager. Southgate is our super manager. Southgate is our... <laughs> which is a definite thing that real people that aren't paid can't and say. Crucious. It's that That's it has no man. rhythm. It's like, I, I, I could believe it if, It wasn't for everything else that's already happened at the Qatar World Cup. If this was the first thing that made me raise an eyebrow, I'd say, all right, it's a little weird. That's fine. But no, I would be remiss if I did not at least mention the the super superfans to create a a fake atmosphere of jovial celebration, which I mean, any real person knows, there's no way a true English football fan is going to enjoy the games without a pint. Those people looked way too sober for my liking.
1: Those fake fans are trying to properly set the scene, and I think you guys have done a good job setting the scene for me as we step into the World Cup now. The groups have all been selected. We go into the group stage. have started by the time this episode comes out. What is there to look for in there? Is there a group of death this year? I haven't heard about any group really standing out this season.
2: One of the interesting things about the groups this year is that other than one group, and that's the Qatar group, group A. A lot of the groups are really well balanced. I think there was a 538 piece about it where the ELO ratings, the strength ratings for each team, There was the lowest average between the first place team and the fourth place team in them. So there are a lot of groups that are very difficult, that more than one team will, will think that they can get out of it. One of the ones that I think is pretty tough is group H which is Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay and South Korea. Portugal as I believe the bookies have said very very strong team and they have a lot of incredible attacking talent. One of the biggest issues they could have is if there are fallout from the current Ronaldo Manchester United drama and if that interferes with the international play, but they're fantastic. Uruguay has some really good attackers with Darwin Nunes and then also Fetty Valverde, who might be the best midfielder in the world. South Korea, as long as they have Sun fit, they can always spring an upset. And Ghana, I think, is the, the weakest team there, but Ghana traditionally does pretty well when, once they get to the World Cup. And they have a pretty strong midfield with Thomas Partey leading the way. So I think Group H, I would expect Portugal to win it but I think any of the other three teams think that they can get out in second place.
0: Right. Yeah. So Group H is, like Xavier said, looking like a real competitive one. I saw one metric to try to measure what the group of death is, and it took the, the average world ranking of each team. And if you go by that metric, it's actually USA that is in the group of death in Group B, along with England, Wales, and Iran. You figure England is probably the favorite in that group, but as Xavier said haven't been doing much in 2022. So, I mean, that that's a group where I, it is not outside the realm of possibility that you see Wales and Iran emerge from that group. It would be a shock. It would be an upset. But it's not insane. It could certainly happen in that group B. So group B is looking potent. The one that just jumps off the page to me also would be group E. I mean, first off, you got Germany and Spain in that group. You got to figure they're the top two favorites to come out. But Costa Rica is consistently a very, very strong team coming out of Concacaf. Defend fiercely. They could absolutely frustrate. I'm thinking back to 2018 when we had Mexico versus Germany, and Mexico as a Concacaf team really put the screws to Germany and ended up winning that game. So. I think uh, Group E is also another one to keep a close eye on. But yeah, like Xavier said, some really well-balanced groups this year. Group F, I was really looking forward to. It's a shame some of the injuries that Canada's had.
2: I think Group F is a really, really good group for a different reason. Not that they're all extremely strong teams, but after Belgium, I believe all three of the teams left, we feel good about themselves. Like, even with the injuries, as long as Canada has Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David, they'll feel like they can score. Morocco, I believe they brought Hakim Ziyech back, so they'll feel very comfortable. In Croatia, despite being extremely old at this point, I believe their starting midfielders are 38 years old and 37 years old, Luka Modric is still fantastic, and there's a reason why they made the semifinals in 2018. Might not be enough juice in their legs, but... They could do it. They could get out of that group too. So that'd be a fun one.
1: So what are the expectations for the U.S. going in? Like, let's let our jingoism fly for one second as we talk about the group stage. What can the U.S. reasonably hope to do?
2: It's a failure if they don't make it out of the group stage. I think that it's not going to be a walk in the park. You know, Wales are very similar level team to the U.S. The fact that it's against a team that's similar level and not two teams that are definitely better than them, getting out of the group has got to be the minimum. Depending on where they finish in the group, if they get out, then you can start thinking about doing a little better because whoever wins Group B face second place from Group A, which is the weakest group. Even if they finish second and a team like the Netherlands wins Group A, Netherlands could possibly be the weakest group winners out of all of them. So if they get out of the group, winning a knockout stage match, making it to the quarterfinals, isn't out of the realm of possibility. That's where they'd probably run into Argentina. So I doubt they'd get further than that. But getting out of the group stage, it has to be the minimum for this team. And it'll also set them up great for 2026 when they get the World Cup on home soil.
0: Yeah, it's going to be the goal for 2022 is as much as you can build momentum for an event that is in four years, to build momentum going towards 2026, uh, USA has a lot of real good young talent that this will be their first opportunity on a big international stage. Uh, You know, you got guys like, Pulisic obviously is the first one that everybody thinks of. He's still not terribly old. I think he's 23 or 24 at this point. But then you got guys like Serginho Dest as well. Uh, Serginho is very young. I think Brendan Aronson made the team, right? And I think Brendan Aronson is 20, 22. So this is really going to be an opportunity for USA team to get their feet wet and, you know, show that this is a generation that is looking to make some noise on the international stage. Looking at that group, and as I said, it is, if you were to average the world ranking of each of the teams, it is the strongest group by that metric. But nonetheless, it is a group that USA should come out of. When they play Iran, Iran, that should be a win. Iran is a very tricky team, but USA should win that. And then when it comes to Wales, I mean, the whole thing is just going to be learn from the Philadelphia Union. If you stop Gareth Bale, that's the only thing you really need to worry about. (laughs) And some of his uh, LAFC teammates on Team USA were were saying like, yeah, you know, gotta sharpen the elbows, you know, throw, throw a few into his ribs when the ref's not looking. Half in jest, but in all seriousness, that is the formula for USA to beat Wales.
1: I'm very glad that the US season has ended directly preceding this rather than this happening in the middle of it because... Good thing that they just won a championship, and if things go, you know, violently in their game <laughs> against one another, they don't have to all go back to the same locker right. room. Right, at least a few months children.
0: break there, at least. But, yes, I mean, that's Wales, that's Iran, and then, as we said, England should be favored to win the group, but at the same time, England has not been so hot themselves lately. USA is kind of limping into this as well. It was, what, a, a draw, 0-0 with Saudi Arabia, and we lost 2-0 to... To Japan. In the build-up to this, so definitely yeah. not the results you want to see. But thankfully, they don't actually mean anything. And, uh, you know, once they, they kick off for their first game... Against Wales. So first game against Wales. I think, obviously, you love to win that game. They need to at least draw. Because if you come out of that game with no points, then the pressure's on massively to beat Iran in that matchup. And you may end up needing to beat England as well to actually make it out. So... Gonna have to get a point against Wales, but yeah, to sum it all up, as Xavier said, massive disappointment if we do not at least get out of the group stage. And I think we will. I think I think we'll finish second, but I do think
2: we'll make it out. One under the radar, I don't know if I say under the radar, but one player who I think is really going to be key for the US is Yunus Musa. So Musa is a 19-year-old who born in New York City to Canaan parents moved to Italy as a kid, and then moved to England, could have represented all four of those countries, was an England youth international for committing to the U.S. He has been fantastic in La Liga with Valencia, and in the games he's played for the U.S., he really is that line breaker in the midfield. They didn't have him in the two warm-up games against Saudi Arabia and Japan, and the midfield looked extremely slow. I think as long as he's healthy and performing at his best, he is probably the most important player on that team. Because as much as I love Pulisic, we have some good attackers. In the forward line, we got Timo Weah, the son of George Weah, the only African player to ever win the Ballon d'Or, and also president of Liberia. We got Gio Reyna, Aronson, we got Josh Sargent, Haji Wright if we need uh, a big physical body. In the midfield, Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams are different types of players. And I think Eunice Musa is the one who really can be that maestro linking play from the back to the front. So I, I, I'm very excited to see how he plays against Wales uh, on Monday.
1: I'm glad to know that we can expect to at least make the knockout rounds. But it does sound like you guys think we'll get knocked out. I'm curious who the three of us think is going to win at all. I admit I have formed an opinion a little bit earlier today and also kind of solidified it during this time. I'm going Argentina. I feel very strongly about the Leo Messi final World Cup vibes. I know that they they won, I know they beat Brazil in Brazil in that big Copa America game this year, right?
2: Yeah, last year in the Copa America. Last year.
1: Okay. So he's, you know, they're riding off that. I think, as you said, like Leo Messi is quite old. So it sounds like it's a little bit more, this is a team that's supporting him versus him having to carry a team. And I just, it feels like the perfect sunset moment. So I'm going to go ahead and say, I, with my very limited knowledge, feel strongly about Argentina and Lionel Messi hoisting that trophy.
2: Who do you think they'll beat in the final?
1: So I was thinking about Brazil, but Neymar will probably like injure himself flopping to fake an injury. So... Here's what I think is going to happen because I I was looking into like what X factors there might be for France and I did find out that Paul Pogba's brother apparently thinks that Kylian Mbappe got a witch doctor to curse him and even if that's not true, that doesn't sound like a locker room that can win a World Cup. (laughs) So I feel like they make it that far. The witch doctor curse finally works. And it ends up not being necessary because Messi scores like I don't know, a stupid amount of goals.
2: I think like half the people in our soccer group chat picked Argentina to win, so you're in good you're in good company there. Oh, and so for yes, me, what about you?
0: First of all, before I get to my winner, I have I have some takes in my bracket, which I, I want to go through with you first, James. I didn't know the witch doctor thing, but I do love it because it does help support my shock upset in the round of 16. I have Mexico beating France in the round of 16. Uh, So I have that as a bit of a shocker. I have USA beating Netherlands in the round of 16. I do think USA falls to Argentina though. My biggest shock is I have Cameroon, the homeland of the love of my life, Joel Embiid. The The Indomitable Indomitable Lions Lions are gonna crush the three Lions in one semifinal to get to the final where I do have them losing to Brazil. I think it's Brazil's year. Brazil versus Cameroon, that would literally destroy the world, I'm here for it. Cameroon's path to the final, we'll see them go through first Uruguay, and they will take down Croatia, and finally England's going to think, oh god, we have this easy win, we're going to just take down Cameroon and get to the final. Fucking thought wrong, English, Uh, you're going to lose to Cameroon, but the real final is going to be, I have Brazil meeting Argentina in one of the semifinals. And I have a feeling, let's say that'll go 2-2 and Brazil takes it on PKs, is how I'll call that one going. But I do have Brazil winning it, and I do have Cameroon going all the way to the final. If you want to support me on that, to reach the final, you can get Cameroon at 160 to 1 odds. So if you are believing what this podcaster says and you want to make some money... Throw ten down on Cameroon to make the final. You'll get sixteen hundred back. It's gonna happen.
1: Starting in November twenty third in Maryland, I can finally do it online. Just
0: in time for the (laughs) World Cup. Why not? Throw a little support behind the magnificent lines. Indomitable, excuse me. Indomitable lines. Indomitable lines. To disperse that name, but yeah, Brazil, Argentina, England, Cameroon in the final four. Brazil over Cameroon in the final.
1: So we got Brazil, we got Argentina, we got the neighbors. Xavier, are we straying from the neighborhood or are we staying here?
2: We are straying from the neighborhood. I don't have nearly as many upsets in my bracket as our good friend Diaz. For the most part, I only have two non-traditional powers making the quarterfinals. And I also have the USA beating the Netherlands because I'm a homer. Uh, But then I have Switzerland beating Portugal. I feel like Switzerland is a really good under-the-radar team that... If all goes right, could make a semifinal run.
1: Plus, Ronaldo has just the worst vibes right Right. now.
2: My final four that I have, I have the Argentina versus Brazil neighborhood uh, match. And then I have France versus Belgium, another match between neighbors. And I have France and Brazil winning those two games. France is going to repeat as World Cup champions. Their attack is just too good. And I think that even without the shredding midfield from 2018, there's no Pogba, no Conte this year. I think the possible double pivot of Aurelien Chiomeni and Eduardo Camavinga, the Real Madrid teammates, they're both like 21 years old. And I I think they have the talent to link France's incredible defense, which has like six center backs who are world-class. And then again, Kareem Benzema and Kylian Mbappe up top. So... They're going to score a lot of goals. The question is, will they keep enough goals out? I think the answer is yes. I think the final would be like 4-3 or 5-4 because of the insane amount of attacking talent that they have. But I do have France repeating.
1: Now, Xavier, I know that's how you filled out your bracket. You have been presented new witch doctor related information, (laughs) and we are giving you permission here if you want. To adjust your previous decisions, are you locking into France even with the knowledge that Paul Pogba's brother claims killing Mbappe is currently hexing him via witch doctor?
2: You know what, Paul Pogba's brother also blackmailed Paul Pogba himself, so I think that whole family just has some shit going on. I'll let the Pogbas do whatever they want. I think Mbappe's gonna be fine. They have Benzema, too, who literally just won the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> And Antoine Griezmann. And Olivier Giroud, who is the second-highest French scorer ever behind Thierry Henry. Like, the weakness is the two 20-year-olds in midfield. But as long as they have Veron and literally anyone else playing center back, whether it's my boy Willow Saliba, Upamakano, Kanate, I think they're going to be just fine. I, I, I think this French team is really, really good. France and Brazil have beat two greatest collection of attacking talent that I've seen possibly ever, but I'm also only 29. So I'm sure that some old Brazil teams in the nineties or before had even better. But I think that those two teams are going to have a blitz of goals during this tournament. One thing I want to chime in. So Xavier has the Swiss Swiss.
0: upsetting Portugal. Um, I do not have Portugal getting upset in the knockout rounds because I do not have Portugal making the knockout rounds. Uruguay and South Korea come out of that group. Ronaldo does an exclusive interview with Piers Morgan again. It's not his fault. Uh, (laughs) While uh, Han Min Song lifts the entire Korean Republic into
2: the round of 16. Love Sonny. I do have South Korea getting second in that group too, but then losing to Brazil because Because Brazil Brazil. is just really good.
1: Well, there are the picks. We'll see who ends up being right. But it would not be an episode of Remember That Guy if we did not take a chance to talk about some guys. So I want to know from the two of you, who you think is going to be the golden guy that emerges from this? Sort of, uh, you know, thing back to Tim Howard, maybe not by any means the most influential player in that World Cup, but definitely one that kind of stuck around the consciousness more afterwards. I'm curious who you guys think is going to be the guy that gets remembered, who maybe even isn't from one of the championship teams or
0: finals contending teams,
1: but who lingers on so- from
0: this World Cup. I can't call my shot with Cameroon without having some solid guy energy behind it, right? And one thing that is said about the France team is that they are actually the the African superstar team because so many players on that French team are of African descent. Kylian Mbappe, Paul Pogba, and the list goes on and on. There is a player for Cameroon who could have joined those ranks. He was born in Paris, but instead he chose to represent Cameroon. Talking about the man who, with his late winner against Algeria, helped to secure Cameroon's place in the World Cup, I'm talking about Carl, brilliant, Toko Ikambi. 30 years old. He's a veteran of this Cameroonian team. He is not the captain, but he is a leader. And he's finally uh, finding his place in League One in France, uh, playing for Lyon. That 38 goals across 108 games for Lyon. And if Cameroon's going to go on this run that I'm calling them to go on, there's going to be somebody that scores those dramatic late goals that push them through. And who other to provide that brilliance than Brilliant himself, Carl Brilliant Toko Ikambi? That is the golden guy to look out for in this tournament.
1: And just to clarify, given not name, nickname, Carl that's a given Brilliant name.
0: Toko Ikambi. Beautiful.
2: Love it. Okay. That's someone to look out for, Xavier. So I'm going to give you two just because I think either of these two teams has a very good chance of making a semifinal run. So I'm going to give you one from Belgium and one from Switzerland. From Belgium, he is a great player on not that big of a team, but Yuri Tielemans has a very good chance of pulling the strings in midfield, maybe scoring some incredible goals for Belgium, and then ending up on a very big team at the end of this year because when his contract expires at Leicester, I feel like Tielemans is not the best player on Belgium, but I feel like he's going to be the most influential in the midfield. And I really like his chances of doing really well. On the other side, if Switzerland are going to make it out of the group, make it to the quarters or beyond, they're going to need a great performance from their goalkeeper, Jan Sommer. Sommer has played for a team called Borussia Gladbach for the past 8 9 years. Never had could a say, Could you say that one more days. time? Borussia Gladbach. <laughs> you can just call him Gladbach if you want. But Sommer has had a very lengthy career in the German league for, you know, a team that's usually around like the top 5 to 6, but never really the best. But he has been a rock for Switzerland. He has over 70 caps, and it seems like whenever they're having big games, either for Gladbach or for Switzerland, he just stands on his head. There was a game against Bayern Munich earlier this year where he made 19 saves in a 1-1 draw. It was one of the greatest goalkeeping performances I've ever seen. Bayern probably should have won 7 or 8 to nothing if it wasn't for Sommer. I believe there's a chance that he just stands on his head and wins Golden Glove, even if Switzerland only make it to the quarterfinals because they could just not let any goals in if he's on his game. So keep an eye out for Tielemans and Somer.
1: Tielemans, Somer, that joins our, our brilliant friend from Cameroon. And then here's my pick for you. I, Diaz, set you up earlier with France getting upset because of the you know curse-related stuff. You, in your bracket, have set me up perfectly because if Mexico indeed makes it out of the round of 16, Irving Chucky Lozano will probably be a big part of it. Apparently, Lozano did get that name Chucky from child's play. So, (laughs) absolutely love that a bunch of 10-year-olds in Mexico were looking at this one kid with spiky hair and saying, Hey, you look like the murderous red-haired doll from Child's Play. We're going to ask permission to call him that, apparently. <laughs> Which is nice that kids in, in Mexico ask before they give you a nickname that will follow you for the rest of your professional life. He is an earthquaking talent. He has literally caused an earthquake with a goal before. I also learned, that apparently Lozano, uh, who is with Napoli now, is involved in a lot of rumors swirling around about potential moves to like Man U or Bayern in the upcoming months. So the way I see it as he enters is the focal point for pretty solid Mexican squad, who, like you're saying, Xavier, we've got somewhere from a climate where they might be a little bit more accustomed to dealing with the conditions that they're going to be in here in Qatar. I think he's going to almost see it as a contract year. This this is a contract performance. Got to show off for the big clubs again with very, very little information coming into this. Joining my Argentina World Cup pick, my pick for golden guy, is going to be Irving Chucky Lozano to go with yours. And so those are our four guys to look out for.
2: Mexican fans will never let the USA Twitter live that down if that happens.
1: One thing I want to wrap up with before we head out. Folks, the week that this comes out, it's Thanksgiving. And I just wanted to make a point to say how thankful I am for my excellent co-host Diaz. Our very special guest, Savior. Shoutouts to the the servers at redcircle.com that keep all of our episodes running. And of course, thank you to the theme music from Zach. And to you all for listening to us. Even when one third of this podcast is someone that does not
0: know very much about the topic that they're discussing.
2: Listen, that's what makes it fun, James. Because you're going to end up being right and we're going to look like an it's, it's the
0: same thing as like in the March Madness bracket. Like the person that picks the teams based on the mascot or like their favorite color ends up winning it. That's how this thing's going to go.
2: All I'm about the vibes.
0: Uh, and yeah, just I'm, reiterate all the the debts of gratitude that you just spoke, James. But you forgot one big one, which is producer Craig, who we literally could not do this podcast without.
1: How could I forget, Craig? Craig oh
0: my goodness! We, we thank you so much for doing all of your robotic excellence uh, to provide the audio files uh, to allow our, our great producer James to to put it together. There's never just one person putting together the podcast, right? It takes it takes a team, it takes a village, and it takes a Craig. So thank you, Craig,
1: and thank you to all of the amazing coders and programmers that make Craig possible. And, hey, if you want to continue to follow us as we head now into season five, starting next week, we did just update all of our plaques on at Remember Guys Pod on Twitter, so you can check out the lovely awards granted to our newest entrance into the Hall of Guy. Starting next week, we'll start discussing some more. But until then, that's all I've got. You guys? go.
2: It's World Cup Fever.
1: World Cup Fever. Catch it, baby. Test negative for COVID still, though, before you go. I've been James.
2: I've been
0: the very special guest, Xavier. And I'm Diaz. And as Diego Maradona said about his iconic goal, this podcast was done with a little bit the head of Maradona and a little bit the hand of God.